Scripture reading this morning is coming from Romans chapter 5, or Romans chapter 10, sorry, starting in verse 5. Romans 10, starting in verse 5 and going through verse 17. Just singing in that, that hymn about the free offer of the gospel, that Jesus is actually being offered to each one of us for salvation. And how do we hear the message of the gospel? That's what Paul is focusing on here in Romans chapter 10. So let's start in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed, all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. <coughs> Amen. Let's pray for God's help as we come to hear his word together. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that it is exactly what we need. And Lord, we pray that you would show us our needs this morning. Show us what we need to learn from you and pray that you would meet those very needs through your word delivered by your spirit to our hearts. We pray that you would do this because you've actually sent us your word, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning our sermon is coming from Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Remember we're in the the middle of a a larger passage from verses 3 to 8 about Paul's thanksgiving. So I'm actually going to start in verse 3 so we get the full context of where we are. This is what Paul says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. 
just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. If you remember what the, the kind of the broad overview of this whole passage is, is that Paul and Timothy are giving thanks for God's work through the gospel in the Colossians' lives. Now, last week we looked more closely at, at Paul's thanksgiving for God's work, and specifically at Paul's thanksgiving for God producing spiritual fruit in the lives of the Colossians. What he showed us was that fruit was actually faith in Christ and love for all other believers that God has saved. And that faith and love are actually based on that eternal hope that we have, that hope of Christ and life with Him. Well, this morning we're going to turn to two other things that Paul gives thanks for in this particular passage. Paul gives thanks for the truth and power of the gospel, and then Paul gives thanks for the men God appoints to proclaim that very gospel. And the main idea is this. Paul gives thanks to God for working through his powerful gospel using faithful men. Again, Paul is giving thanks to God for working through his powerful gospel using faithful men. Part of why this particular passage is so important for us this morning is that God is at work in the exact same way through his powerful word using faithful men right now among us and not just us here right but this is the way that god is is at work right now in his churches all around the world god is at work in the same way and that work of god both here and around the world that work of god drives our thanksgiving so again this morning we'll see those two very basic points thanksgiving for the truth and power of the gospel and thanksgiving for faithful ministers of the gospel. Now, Paul starts by giving thanks for the truth and the power of the gospel. We see that in verses 5 through 6. In the first part of verse 5, Paul focuses on the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. And Paul says that that hope is a key part of the gospel. But as, as Paul begins to look at the gospel itself now, at the very end of that verse, he calls the gospel the word of truth. Paul is emphasizing that the gospel the Colossians heard is true. Now, the gospel, the gospel is good news. That's what the word means. Good news. And the gospel is good news that God saves sinners. I don't think I can say it any more simply than that. Just three words. God saves sinners. And that news is true. And because it's true, it is life-changing. The gospel is true because the events of the gospel really happened. That's one level, right? That Jesus really did come, he really did die, and he was really raised from the dead. These are true historical events witnessed by many, many people. Paul actually in 1 Corinthians 15 makes that point 
that Jesus raised from the dead was seen by hundreds of people at many times and in many locations. So what Jesus did, coming and dying and being raised from the dead, that was true, it really happened. But someone could still say, yes, okay, sure. Sure, there was a man, Jesus, he really came, he did some good things, he really died, and I'll even give you that he was raised from the dead. Someone could say, I'll give you that, so what? So what? That truth doesn't change my life, does it? And that kind of response, that, that, that so what, to the facts of the gospel, helps us to see that the gospel is about more than just the events. It's more than just what happened. It's the significance and the meaning of those events that matters. Maybe I can say it this way. There is an eternal, an eternal world of difference between saying Jesus died and was raised from the dead. That's true. But listen to this next thing, that Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sins and was raised from the dead for your eternal life. Do you see the difference between those two statements? That second statement is making huge claims about who Jesus actually is and what he did. It's making claims about us too, about who we are as sinners and what we need. Jesus is God himself. Jesus' death and resurrection save us from our sins because we are sinners. It's not just that we sin, it's that we are sinners and we desperately need Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There are so many places that we could turn to in the Bible to hear such a clear description of the gospel. I'll just point you to one, Romans 6.23. So many places even in Romans, but listen to this. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life. How? In Christ Jesus our Lord. This is good news of what has happened and why it happened and how it changes your life. But there's more. There's even more to the truth of the gospel, and it's a really basic point. What God says is always true. The gospel is not my message. The gospel is not Paul's message. It's not any other man's message. The gospel is God's word about what God has done in his own son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me. And our God, our God is a God of truth. Everything he says is true. Why? Because he is truth itself. Think about a few scriptures with me. The word of the Lord proves true. Psalm 18. It is impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 10. Or what Jesus himself says. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. John 14. We really need to to understand the significance of the gospel being true. You know, lots of people today, you may have met them, I have as well, lots of people today say, well, there isn't any truth. It's all up to you, you know, it's relative, it's your truth, it's my truth. There is really no truth, no universal truth at least. But God says no. God says that the gospel is true for everyone, everywhere, at every time, because he is truth himself. But we also need to understand the significance of the gospel being true, because if the gospel is true, and it is, that means it exposes us and it confronts us, because God says that we are all sinners. Not just some of us, 
All of us, each one of us is born evil. And we just add to that evil then by what we think, by what we say, and what, by what we do. And there's no way for any of us to get back to God by ourselves. Jesus is the only way. People don't like to hear that truth, do they? People do not like to hear the truth of their own sin and the one way of salvation. It goes against our pride. It goes against our sin. And yet, it is a loving and gracious truth that God gives. But be real about it. When we explain the gospel, we should expect pushback. Did you feel that in your own life, maybe before you came to faith? For many of us, we can probably look back at times in our lives before we came to faith or even after where we are pushing back on the truth of the gospel. So the gospel, the gospel is true because it is God's word. It is God's message of salvation. And and the truth of God's word is connected to the power of God's word. That's actually where Paul turns to in verse 6. The power of the gospel. Let, Let me just try to make that connection clear. The gospel is true. Jesus Christ really died for sinners. And the gospel is also powerful because the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus Christ did and he then applies it to us through the gospel to produce and to sustain new life in us. So the gospel is true and it's also powerful. Let's look together at what Paul says here in verse 6 about the power of the gospel. He says, The gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul says that the power of the gospel is seen in two basic activities, bearing fruit and increasing, and the power of the gospel is seen in two places, in Colossae and actually in the whole world. First, let's look at the two activities of the gospel. What is the gospel doing that shows its power? Well, Paul says that the gospel has come to you, and he's going to say more about that in verse 7 when he moves on to talk about Epaphras, that faithful minister of the gospel. But the two main activities of the gospel that Paul focuses on here in verse 6, the gospel bears fruit and the gospel increases. What do those things mean? What do those two activities mean? Well, well, bearing fruit means that the gospel is producing godly character. It has an effect in your life of actually producing righteousness and obedience and holiness. But it is also increasing. The gospel is increasing as it continues to spread. It increases as more and more and more people are actually saved. So maybe just to put it another way, that what Paul says here is the gospel is powerful because it saves and it sanctifies. Okay? It increases and it bears fruit. Now, as we, as we think about the words of Paul here, that the gospel is what's doing these things, that makes the gospel sound actually very active. The gospel is powerfully at work in us. And that statement of the gospel's power reminds me of Romans In Romans 1.16, Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Did you hear that? That the gospel is the power of God for salvation. 
Why? Why are these words the power of God? Because the gospel, again, the gospel is God's own message. The gospel is God's own speech. Think with me for just a minute. How did God create the entire world? What did he have to do? All that he had to do was speak. God's words created every single thing. And in the gospel, God's words recreate sinners. He's doing the same thing. He's using his word, his powerful word to save. Through God's words, we actually, another place, Paul says, we are new creation. That's the power of God's words in the gospel. James says the same thing as well. He says, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. James 1.18. Along those same lines, there, there's a, a line from him, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. This line goes through my head very frequently as I'm getting ready to preach. And it gets at the same truth. He speaks, God speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful, broken hearts rejoice. The humble, poor believe. God speaks to us powerfully in the gospel and he brings us to faith and then he gives us every single thing that we need. And that's part of the key is it's not just that God speaks powerfully to bring us to faith and then it's on our own, right? No, Paul highlights actually that the gospel is bearing fruit in our lives now. God is still at work in the gospel in the lives of believers. Remember, bearing fruit means that our lives are being changed. Another way of saying it is that the gospel is producing the fruit of the Spirit. The gospel is producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control in you and I. That's actually what's happening in the gospel. Maybe we could say it another way, because we don't want to take the gospel and the word of God away from the Holy Spirit. God works through the gospel by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to produce holiness in the lives of his people. The gospel is about salvation. The gospel is about salvation. But salvation is about more than just coming to faith. Even as we look at, again, as we look at that passage from Romans, the power of God for salvation, Paul has more in mind than just coming to faith. Because salvation is God's work. He saves us from sin and death, but then he saves us to righteousness and life. And he does it in the exact same way through the gospel. Let me give you an example of the gospel in action in your life right now. Okay, In Romans 6, Paul says that Christ's death and resurrection enable us, empower us to live holy lives right now. Listen to what Paul says. He says, We were buried therefore with Christ by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What what Paul says is really extraordinary. He says, You have been so deeply connected to Christ in his death and resurrection that right now, right now we are sharing in Christ's resurrection and life What does that look like? 
What does it look like to be raised from the dead for us? It looks like that newness of life, that holiness in all areas of our service to God. The basic point is that God is still using the gospel to work powerfully in our lives now. We can never, ever, ever outgrow the gospel in the Christian life. We need it from the moment we believe, actually all the way through eternity. We all need the word of God. And here's practical application here. We need the word of God for our salvation and we need the word of God for our sanctification. So when God gives you an opportunity to explain the gospel to someone, use God's own words. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to think up your own arguments. You don't have to even use all your own words. Quote scripture. Just quote some verses. Give them the powerful truth. Yes, you'll still have to explain it. Yes, you will still have to apply it, but use God's own words. But you know what? That also applies in our sanctification. Go back to the gospel. Go back to God's own words about your salvation. As we're encouraging one another, as we're challenging one another in the Christian life, use God's own words. Point people to passages in Scripture and then meditate together on what those words mean. God is at work through His message of salvation, the gospel. So God then is using the gospel through the Holy Spirit to work powerfully in the Colossians to bring more faith and to produce godly character. That's the picture that Paul shows here. But Paul says that that is not just happening among the Colossians. He says that those two activities of the gospel are happening in the whole world. Paul's point here is very simple. The gospel can save and transform anyone, anyone, anywhere, at any time. Just look at the many places that have been reached with the gospel when Paul was writing this. Think it started out in Jerusalem, and where had it gone? So many places, and what kinds of people had been saved? So many, right? Paul himself, when he's talking about in the whole world, actually, he's not talking about the gospel reaching all the countries of the world, though that's coming, but he's actually looking at the kinds of people that are saved. He says, the Jews and the Gentiles, God has saved both. And now God is going to take that salvation. He's already overcome the big division, and now he's going to spread it over all the other possible divisions in the world. We need to remind ourselves that there is nothing, absolutely nothing like the gospel. There is nothing like God's power to save. God can and God does work in anyone, from any place, from any culture, from any time. Just think about that truth for a minute. From Adam on, God has saved sinners. He's brought them to faith. He's made them holy. And he's actually brought them to heaven. And he is still at work doing that same thing here and now in our congregation and here and now in the entire world. It's one of the things I always appreciate about reading missionary biographies or checking in with what our, our missionaries are doing around the world is seeing that this truth, people who don't look like me, people who don't talk like me, people who don't even necessarily share the same values as me, God saves them. 
And God makes them my brothers and sisters. Why and how? Because he loves them and he uses the power of the gospel in their lives. But here's the thing. We don't have to look to the ends of the earth in some far off country. God is doing those same things here. So do you believe that anyone you see out there, anyone you see outside this church, do you really believe that that person is able to be saved by God through the gospel? God says yes. Do you believe him? And look inside the church. Do you believe that anyone you see inside this church who is not yet a believer, do you believe that they also are able to be saved by God through the gospel? God says yes. Do you believe him about that? He can do that. And he does do that so many times. But how does God do that? How does God work powerfully through the Spirit, by the Word, in your life and in my life? How does He bring us to salvation? How does He bring us to higher and higher levels of holiness, greater holiness? Well, did you notice what Paul says? The gospel comes, the people hear, and then they understand God's grace. That's, that's the work of God, right? Beginning to end. But it's also, notice, it's also the work that God calls us to as well, to proclaim the gospel. And that really leads us into our second point this morning, thanksgiving for a faithful minister of the gospel in verses 7 to 8. See, what Paul does is he moves from giving thanks for a true and powerful message to then giving thanks for the faithful messenger, Epaphras. Now, we know from later in Colossians in chapter 4 that Epaphras is a Colossian himself. He's from that city. And from what Paul says in our passage, it looks like Epaphras is actually the one who first brought the gospel back to Colossae. Paul says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Just think about that for a minute. It's, it's a really simple statement that you learned this message from Epaphras. The Colossians learned the gospel through a man, Epaphras. That simple statement is actually Really amazing that, that God takes the true, powerful message of the gospel, which can save and transform anyone, then He gives it to men to proclaim it and to teach it. I mean, God chooses to use weak, limited, sinful men to proclaim the gospel. And not just to proclaim it, but do you realize that the Holy Spirit actually blesses and uses that proclamation of the gospel? I mean, if anything, if anything, God's choice to use men, it shows his power even more. We read from Romans 10 earlier, right? Paul makes the same point. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But but how do you know who the Lord is? How will people know him? Well, it's through the preaching of the word. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The preached word, the word of Christ. But what set Epaphras and his ministry apart? It's good. It's true God chose him. God chose to use him. But if, if God uses men to proclaim the gospel, you know, was Epaphras you know, a, a really good speaker? Did he tell funny stories? Was he really persuasive maybe? What was it about Epaphras' ministry that made it such an effective blessing for the Colossians? Paul says that Epaphras was a faithful servant. That's what sets apart Epaphras 
and in his ministry. Now, it's true. We know pastors must be able to teach. That's one of the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. But Paul emphasizes actually the faithful character of Epaphras above everything else. This is a man who is a beloved fellow servant with Paul and a faithful minister of Christ. Now, servant and minister, they capture the idea so well. You know, even though God has appointed Epaphras to this position of authority and honor, Epaphras is marked by the same spirit of service that Jesus Christ himself had. And actually, every faithful pastor or leader in Christ's church will be marked in the same way. We will be marked by the character of Christ. (coughs) Notice also who Epaphras serves. Epaphras serves Christ first and Christ's people second. That is a really important order, a vital order for ministry in the church because Epaphras can only serve the church because he is first serving Jesus, the head of the church. Now, one other quality about Epaphras stands out. It's not just that Epaphras is being faithful. It's not just that Epaphras is being faithful in serving Christ and his people. It's also that Epaphras is engaged in faithful, ongoing ministry. It's actually Epaphras who has come to tell Paul about the Colossians' love in the Spirit. That's how Paul can even give thanks because Epaphras has come to him to tell him about what God is doing. But also, even though Epaphras is with Paul now, Epaphras is still working for the good of the Colossians. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So Epaphras, this faithful minister, is engaged in ongoing ministry for the Colossians. He is, he is engaged from far around the world praying powerfully for God to keep working in his beloved Colossians. Who have been the Epaphrases in your life? Who are the faithful leaders that God has used to proclaim and teach the gospel to you? To bring you to faith, maybe? And then to grow you in your faith. What faces or voices come to your mind right now? And I'm serious. Start, I want you to think right now of particular people, especially pastors, that God has brought into your life. Again, to bring you to faith or to grow you in your faith. When you think about those people, do you spend time giving thanks to God for raising up those particular men in your life? Notice that Paul gives constant thanks. Constant thanks for Epaphras and his ministry among the Colossians. I think that's a lesson for us, that we can respond in the same way. You know, last week I said that we can't thank God enough for his salvation. Never run out of things to say to God in thanksgiving about that. The same is true here, that we really cannot thank God enough for the way that he saves the gospel proclaimed by faithful men and the gospel proclaimed to us by particular faithful men. I also found this passage personally challenging as I I thought about the truth and power of the gospel because everything good that God has worked in my life or in the life of this church has come through the powerful gospel. And that reminder 
that reminder of what God is doing, how He's doing it, that, that produces thanksgiving as we see our continual need for God's work in us through His gospel. As we see our need, and time and time again how we see Him meet our need. But our dependence on God to work through the gospel is also a reminder to us that the gospel must be at the center of everything that we do. That is true for us as individuals, and that's true for us as a church. You know, think about you as an individual. We can do many things to try to be holier, right? Well, okay. How does the gospel actually produce holiness in you? How is God's power, not just your participation, but how is God's power at work in you to produce His holiness? What about us as a church? How is the gospel at the center of everything we do? We can come up with so many ministry plans, right? That's actually where we are right now. We're thinking about what what do we want to do as a church in the future? Okay? How is the gospel at the center of what we are planning to do? How is God's free grace in sinners, Jesus Christ alone, how is that the message and the power of, of everything that we do as a church. We know what we can proclaim and we can rely, not just can, we must proclaim and rely on God's power in the gospel alone. For Sunday school, as we teach the kids and as the adults are being taught, we need to be relying and proclaiming on God's power. For worship, the gospel and God's power is at the center of what we're doing. For evangelism, as we go spread the gospel, are we trusting God to do the work through us? For personal holiness, for encouragement for one another, for eternal life. Think about that. For everything, the gospel is not just at the center because it's important. It's at the center because it's vital. That is the power of God for everything that God has called us to do as individuals and as a church. And that kind of reliance on God, that understanding of God's power at work in us through the gospel, it is so freeing. It is so freeing to us. It's true, we still need to prepare, we need to proclaim, we need to do, and we need to obey, but it's God's power at work. It's not ours. At the end of the day, it is not up to us to produce any results. God and His power is what is going to produce results. Not just results now, not just a little bit of holiness now, not just one more person coming to Christ. These are eternal results that God Himself is producing. Just as we, as we close, when we, when we see God powerfully at work in those ways, when He's at work in our lives, when He's at work in the lives of others, and when you think about that, he's at work in our lives and the lives of others now in this life. He's going to be at work in us in the life to come, eternal life. Everything that we have from God is produced by him. When we see that clearly, when we see just how powerful God's gospel really is and how much God loves us to share that with us and to produce that kind of spiritual fruit, you can, you can see where Paul is right now. Thanksgiving. This kind of deep, constant thanksgiving is really the only right response. That's the only way that we can go. And just think about it. This is only the beginning. 
This is really, our time now, our Thanksgiving now, is really only the beginning of our Thanksgiving for God. When we are in heaven and we look back at everything that God has done in our lives and we see it clearly, we look back at everything that God has done in the church and everything that God has done in the world and we finally see it clearly, what are we going to be doing for the rest of eternal life, forever? We're going to be praising God and we're going to be thanking Him for what, who He is and what He's done. That is something to look forward to and to start getting ready for now. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the comfort and the truth that it is that you are the one at work. You are the one who is powerful and you are the one who is at work through your powerful, true gospel. You have been at work in our lives, bringing us to faith and working in our lives greater faithfulness and holiness. And Lord, we pray that we would trust you, that you would continue that work. And especially, Lord, as we do look at those outside of you, we know that the only way that a sinner's heart is going to be changed, the only way that they are able to bow the knee and to come and serve you with joy is if you do it. And we would pray that you would be faithful to your, your, your love for people and your statement that you will save a multitude from every tribe and tongue and people and language and that you will do that and then bring us all to heaven. We do look forward to that day and we pray that you would help us to, to share the hope that we have and to work powerfully through our words as we share the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.